0: Are you ready for the inside scoop? The good, the bad, and the just flat out wacky from inside the Virginia State Capitol? Well, we have with us a very special guest today to share with us some of those fun and interesting moments. Virginia delegate, Nick Freitas. Plus, in celebration of our 100th episode of Speak Up Virginia, we're gonna share how you can win a personal tour with Nick and Victoria of the State Capitol. Welcome to Speak Up Virginia, equipping you to speak up on the life, family, and freedom issues that matter most to you. From the Family Foundation, I'm Candy Cushman, your host, with our president, Victoria Cobb. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Nick, to be on our show to help us celebrate our 100th episode of Speak Up Virginia. We are super excited to have you today.
1: Oh, no, it's it's my pleasure. Always happy to speak with Family
0: Foundation. All right, well, before we get started today, I just want our audience to know a little bit more about you. And, of course, you just recently emceed our big gala of the year, which happened in September. And um, you're also known for delivering somewhat masterful takedowns of the false narratives that are constantly coming out of the state capitol lately on things like parental rights and the life issues. So we are thankful to you for that. And somehow in the midst of all this, you find the time to host your own podcast, Making the argument so i highly encourage people listening today to check that out making the argument if you're not already a fan all right well i can't wait to dive in today because this is just going to be fun to start out on a more light-hearted note uh delegate Freitas. or but you asked me to call you nick nick will you share your one of your most wackiest moments from the state capitol with us to start our show out today
1: oh gosh i mean i, I don't know about. Well, there was one, there was one recently from, you know, pre, previous session, but this year, and, um, you know, I, I grew my beard this year. So the beard is, is new for, yeah. for most people. They got, they got used to seeing me in the general assembly w- without a beard. And, uh, there was a bunch of people protesting there from Planned Parenthood and anybody that <laughs> knows me knows that, um, I'm, I'm not what you would call one of Planned Parenthood's favorite legislators. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, that's that's kind of an understatement. But I'm, I'm walking up to the House floor. Right. I've got my beard. There's all these protesters here and there's a bunch of Democrats walking in front of me. And this one Planned Parenthood protester stops me and goes, thank you for everything you do. And I looked at him like, <laughs> you're welcome. You know, I, will. I promise you, I promise you, I will continue to do it. And the whole time. <laughs> The whole time I'm sitting on the floor, I'm like, at some point, she was up in the gallery going, oh, I've made a horrible mistake.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That is an awesome one. Victoria, can you top that?
2: No, but, you know, it's funny, you know, since he referenced Planned Parenthood, I got to I got to tell this story. Um, One of my more strange moments was actually, well, I got to work up to give you some context. So, you know, Ed and Health is the committee that for, I mean, literally decades would kill every pro-life measure. And to be honest with you, that was whether it was controlled by Republicans or Democrats back then, because we had a lot of Republicans that were. What they call rhinos, Republican in name only, people that just really weren't super pro-life. And chairing the committee at this point in time was Senator Russ Potts, and he was 100% considered a rhino, not interested in the life issue. So he was the block for us getting all sorts of things done. And we're a you know a nonpartisan organization. I don't care what label they wear, we're still going to let people know about that. So I'm young. I'm you know relatively new in our jo- uh, my job, and I, I guess I didn't know the influence and the power that sometimes certain actions take. So we kind of did this full page newspaper ad in his local newspaper about his voting record. And I I, I guess I underestimated how mad that might make somebody. Um, (laughs) It made him really mad, like really, really, really mad. And so the next time I go up to testify on a life bill, he is like, armed and loaded to bear and so I go up to testify and it turns real personal and that's very unusual for those that don't watch these committee hearings. you're supposed to be talking about the bills and he's literally coming after the family foundation and me and this whole to the point and this is why what you said reminded me of this um to the point that I go into the restroom afterwards to kind of put myself back together and I'm standing at the mirror washing my hands and the Planned Parenthood girl actually apologized to me for how bad it was in there and I thought okay we are in another dimension she actually thought it was as crazy as I did that I just went through this so anyway all that to say I had made an enemy and even Planned Parenthood felt the wrath of the enemy that I had made.
1: <laughs> well because that that is that is crazy and like highly inappropriate yeah. to do something like that. <laughs> I felt like it.
0: Yeah. It is bad yeah. when Planned Parenthood feels sorry for you Victoria. Yeah that...
2: they, they don't usually they don't usually have much compassion for me or yeah, our yeah. side or anything like that so yeah that was a wild one.
0: Well, that was fun. Thank you. Now, I'm going to get a little more serious. I want to hear from both of you about some of your more emotional or heart-wrenching moments while you've been in the Capitol. Now, uh, Nick, I know the life issue is very personal to you. Tell us about some of those moments where you really felt your emotions being tapped into on the House floor.
1: Well, I I think there there was one time in committee this last year, and, and again on the House floor, and it was when we were talking about the Born Alive Act. Because if, if you look at a piece of legislation like the Born Alive Act, and keep in mind this is before Roe had been overturned, so there was still a lot of restrictions on what states could do, and then, so the Born Alive Act didn't actually, you know, put any new restrictions on abortion, right? No new restrictions on abortion. What it essentially said was, if a child survives an abortion attempt and is born, you still got to render, you still got to render reasonable care in order to try to save the child's life, because we've had cases where that's happened and the child's been left to die. And we had an abortion survivor get up and testify to this. And the moment she got done, a member from Planned Parenthood got up and said, this bill is a solution in search of a problem. And and it was just fascinating to me that we could have an abortion survivor who had survived a saline abortion. So we're talking about a, a very brutal form of abortion and for Planned Parenthood to just get up immediately after and essentially say, yeah, this is a solution in search of a problem. That was very frustrating. And, and that really showed me just how far we've gone from safe, legal, and rare on the other side to any for any reason at taxpayer expense. Plus, we won't even put in basic protections for when a child is born, despite, um, you know, an attempted abortion. And, and I... I It was very frustrating to me because you you always want to assume that there's got to be some area of common ground where we can at least acknowledge that, you know, some things are just a bridge too far. And and I think what that woke me up to that day was that line just doesn't exist for almost any of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle. And and that was an eye opener.
0: Describe the emotions you were feeling in that moment and how you're able to channel that into, you know, a redemptive, um, you know, response.
1: Well, some of it is, some of the emotions were just absolute anger. Um, you know, I, I've, I've shared this before, and I, and, I, and I talked about this on the floor. I said, you know, look, I, I understand um, that I, I have no idea what it's like to be a young woman that finds herself in a situation where she has a pregnancy that she wasn't anticipating. Um, but I do know what it's like to be her son, because that's what happened to my mother. She got pregnant in college. Uh, she had to drop out of college. She lost her scholarship. There was There was a lot of cost associated with her choosing me
0: yeah but the the
1: idea that we would be living in a society especially one where a lot of the same people that voted against develop are constantly lecturing us about the most vulnerable in society And, and if we don't agree with their you know particular tax policy or if we don't agree with their particular government program or their additional welfare spending or whatever it is If we don't agree with something like that that means that we're cold-hearted mean people that don't care about people in need but then to watch the same people say that nope we're not even going to we're not even going to make some basic reasonable protections in this sort of situation which we can prove has happened We're, we're just going to ignore that and then we're going to continue with this narrative that the only reason you can possibly support something like this is because you want to control women that, that was both infuriating, it was horribly intellectually dishonest, and we just, I, I'm at this point right now where I think a lot of us are, we are tired of being gaslit. We, we are tired of being told that because we want to protect children in the womb, that we want to protect that mother, that somehow you know we're, we're mean people that want to control others. And then to watch, again, those same groups after Roe v. Wade was overturned, the same people that have claimed, oh, you're pro-birth, but you're not pro-life because you don't care about those children once they're born, to watch some of those same people Cheer on organizations that were then destroying and threatening people that worked at crisis pregnancy centers, the very people who are attempting to meet those needs, not only during pregnancy, but after the child is born, it it just showed a a massive intellectual dishonesty. And really, when when you come down to it, this has become such a critical issue um, because it's foundational to everything else. For, for all of my and all of my colleagues on my side of the aisle that are like, well, you know, I, I wish this was an issue that I wish we could just focus on the economy. I wish we could just focus on, on something else. I, I'm sorry, but a government that is not willing to protect your right to exist as a human being cannot be trusted to protect any of the other rights that you agree are God-given and important and are fundamental. This is the most fundamental.
0: Well, Victoria, I know this is also super close to your heart. Um, Share with us some of the emotion that you have felt watching this go through the Capitol.
2: Well, yeah, this issue, I mean, you know, I can't tell you how many laws we've been involved with, so how many battles in the committees and, and the most, I think the most central one has been the one around safety standards in an abortion center simply because Um, we know what it's like in there. We get the stories. We know it's not like any other uh, medical facility you would walk into. So it's dangerous for the woman and, of course, deadly for the child. And I mean, we fought for I mean, decades trying to get clinic safety. You know, I get teased around the office though because those those regulations were released the the literally as I'm in the hospital <laughs> giving birth to my third child. And my husband was the one who got to write most of those regulations, and um, I didn't get to know what was in it. So all this time, I knew he was working, working, working. So he was Deputy Secretary of Health at the time, and so I knew he's working, working, working on these things, and I wasn't allowed to know. And finally, he tells me, "Okay, they're releasing them," and he's holding the notebook, so he's telling me what's in them. And between nurses walking in and out of the room and that kind of thing. But that was a big deal because we knew it was going to help. And then, of course, watching it get taken down by, um, you know, the next administration undoing them and how devastating that was after all those committee hearings. Because remember, every time we tried to have a Board of Health hearing, I mean, it was like you'd get up at 4 a.m. and stand in a line around the building for hours just to get in to be able to testify the amount of emotion and energy and passion. I don't think I've seen anything really quite like it even since then. So that was a big one. But yeah, it's hard to watch them, these, these laws come and then all be struck down. Um, It's painful. How do both of you kind of navigate just the highs and lows
0: of the work you're doing?
2: Well, you have to keep balanced. I always tell people, you don't know whether you're going to win or lose, you don't know what the outcome is going to be. And yeah, sometimes you get something passed only to have it undone. And all those pro-life laws we passed, I mean, they got stripped out in one bill that on the Senate side got five minutes of us trying to defend like five different laws that had taken decades to pass. And so I, I was pretty angry about the process as much as losing all the protections for the unborn. So it, it is a challenge to regulate your emotions and to use them in a powerful way like Nick does on the floor yeah. and not use them in a destructive, angry kind of way. I mean, it requires a certain amount of self-control to be over there.
1: My job is to be obedient to the purpose God has given me.
2: Exactly.
1: right. That's my job. Sometimes okay. there will be victories. Sometimes there will be losses. And it's not that those things don't matter, obviously they do, but it shouldn't affect whether or not I show up to fight. I'm supposed to stand for what's true, regardless whether you do it alone, whether you do it with others. Uh, It is always nice to know that Family Foundation will be right there doing it because they have the same convictions for the same reasons. But I get very, very tired, Um, to be be perfectly honest, I, I get more frustrated sometimes when people that share my values act as if well when it comes to things like this it's it's not a winning issue yeah well then you make it one <laughs> and you don't make it one by ignoring it you don't make it one by giving up because you've had a defeat you keep coming back and you have to send the message that no matter what happens you will always come back and you will come back stronger and you will come back smarter than you did last time but you are coming and that's your that's your job and as long as you when, once you once you've kind of, you know, the, the old adage about, you know, um, you know, burning the ships, it's the idea that I, I've made up my mind what I'm going to fight for and what I believe is true. And so I'm always going to come back. You're never going to stop me. You can delay me. You might be able to delay me, but you're never going to stop me.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, once you Once you accept that attitude and that mindset, b- believe it or not, the defeats become easier and the victories you recognize are still just an, another step.
0: All right, I just want to take a moment to announce what everyone has been waiting for, how they can win an opportunity to have a personal tour of the State Capitol with Nick and Victoria. As you can see, this will be a highly entertaining and informational tour with lots of inside information. And basically, it's going to work like this. We're going to be randomly selecting 10 fortunate winners who correctly follow the steps, the Win a Tour steps that we are going to be providing online which include things like subscribing to our program and then reviewing it and then uploading an image of the review that you did. And uh, if you want to have an opportunity to join this personal tour and get fun pics with Nikki and Victoria sometime during the 2023 General Assembly session, just go to the Family Foundation website, familyfoundation.org, and click on the Win a Tour banner. That's familyfoundation.org. All right. To get on with our inside stories, let's spend a few moments on the parental rights issue, because I know that's another one that's also very d- dear to both of your hearts. Um, what are some of the emotional highs and lows that stand out in your mind on that one?
1: Well, I, I think overall, I, I know that um, this was actually before I came into the General Assembly, but a lot of what we're relying on now was uh, you know, Bryce Reeves carried a bill in the Senate where it, it, it shrined into law that parents have the fundamental right to the care upbringing, and education of their children. And um, I, I think that's probably for me, you know, the high point, even though I, I certainly can't take any credit wasn't it, was it my bill. I wasn't even the general assembly at that point. But um, it, it, is, it is important because what we're ultimately debating with so many of these issues that we see within our schools, within our hospitals, within clinics, et cetera, so much of this is rooted in the idea of who has the primary responsibility. And there's a, a lot of our colleagues that, you know, again, they're not going to come right out and say this. It's not going to be on, on a brochure somewhere but they honestly believe that the state should, and it is appropriate for them to play a much larger role on the raising of children. And I, I think for our side, we, we recognize that we don't we don't think that parents always get it right. And, and obviously there needs to be safeguards whenever you have neglect or abuse taking place, but it is certainly disturbing to see the links that certain people are willing to go to strip parents of that of that fundamental right and hand it over to the state. And anybody that has studied history especially the, especially the last century of history, should be able to recognize that, oh my gosh, you know based off of the track record of the state attempting to, you know raise children and, and the things that they end up doing and the ideological indoctrination that takes place as a result of that, oh my, who would want to, you know, who would want to to adopt that sort of system or that sort of approach? Uh, but unfortunately, you know people forget history very quickly and they always imagine that if they're the ones in charge, it'll be different. And so I, I'm glad that we've, we had the opportunity, we took the opportunity to enshrine those things in law, but we also need to understand that it's something you have to constantly and consistently advocate for. Um, and, and part of this too is also about parents recognizing that this one key thing when it comes to healthcare, when it comes to education, when it comes to all of it. You can delegate the authority to other people when it comes to certain medical decisions, when it comes to certain educational decisions. And certainly there's nothing wrong in working in collaboration with with medical or educational professionals. But what parents need to understand is you cannot delegate the responsibility for your child to somebody else. You can can work in collaboration if if you want to, but ultimately you're responsible and you should guard that responsibility. And you should be skeptical of anybody that would attempt to, to move in and, and have the government, or, or whatever it is, attempt to co-parent with you.
2: And Nick, it wasn't there when this passed, but I, I can tell you, I used to tell our supporters, if you wanna really see the divide in the General Assembly, any bill on parents or education was is really where you see a philosophical battle over from left to right over who should be responsible for our children. But that bill in committee, those bills always draw all the uh, we just call them educrats. But, you know, the school board association and the teachers unions and and really they will absolutely sit there and argue that they are the ones who know best and they will tell. These stories of the one off example of a very rare case where a parent wasn't right on an issue with a child or a parent wasn't helpful. And I will tell you, they will insist that they're the experts. They have a degree in raising your child and you're just the parent. And it is a scary thing to listen to.
1: Well, Well, I think it's real quick. I think this is fascinating, too, because, again, Our our argument is not that parents always get it right. And certainly if a parent is engaging in abuse or neglect, there's an appropriate role for intervention. But the, the reverse of that argument is they will point to a parent getting it wrong and say, look, this is why we need to be more involved. But if we point to a teacher that abuses their student, if we point to a medical professional that abuses a patient, all of a sudden it's like, how dare you attack teachers and doctors? No, what we're acknowledging is that human beings are fallible and what we're also acknowledging is that it is far more likely that a parent that knows that child, raised that child, is responsible for that child, is going to be more in tune and more concerned with the overall provision and care of that child than a teacher they might have one year out of twelve, or a doctor that they may see, you know, one week out of a year. Like these are, and, or a politician that will never meet them. Period. So <laughs> right. it, it's like let's let's be honest about what we're actually discussing here. And and again, that's why parents need to be so protective of, of those rights.
0: Well, for those of our audience that maybe don't understand how this plays out in the hallways of the Capitol or on the floor, like they hear all the debates, but they don't get the play by play how this really becomes a flashpoint. Can you give them some insight, just of of a moment that where it it really comes to a head, and you know it. What, what that's like in the Capitol. I'm just searching for that inside moment that we kind of want to share with our audience on this issue, if there's one you can think of.
1: Because here's how the system usually works. A legislator will try to do something that is crazy and then we'll notice it and then the press will come out and get mad at us for noticing it. <laughs> and, and, a, and a perfect example of this is a legislator who carried a bill that essentially allowed for abortion up to the point of birth for any reason whatsoever in the same year that she carried another bill to protect moth larvae. Wow! Right. The, and and you're looking at this going, do you, do you not? Oh gosh, you're so close. Do you not see where there's a potential wow. issue here? Do you not do you not see the apparent contradiction here? And, and the and the answer is no. You're just a bigot, or you're a racist, or you're a sexist, or or whatever else it is. And so, but I, yeah, I, I think it's it's amazing to me that that is a lot of times the the, the process is They will they will propose a bill. And, and the press will talk about it exclusively from the stated intentions of the legislator. We don't legislate intentions, we write laws. And so we're constantly arguing like, no, it's not about what your intention is, it's about what does this bill actually allow? It, it, that might be a little far afield of what the direct question was but for me that's a perfect example of you know why some of these things come to the flashpoint that they do
0: i do want to just give both of you a chance to just touch on what it's like to be raising families while you're on the front lines of the culture war because victoria has three ki- uh, four kids i just <laughs> left one out four kids um you how many children do you have nick
1: i have three 19 three. 17 and 14
0: Well, just speak for a moment on maybe some of the more humorous uh, humorous moments of trying to balance that out and just the difficult moments when they see you get attacked in public.
1: <laughs> you know, my, uh, yeah, Victoria, you go. You go first.
2: <laughs> I mean, my kids certainly know. I mean, it's like a it, it, it's a joke in our house. You know, we call it my fan club because there are obviously people that hate me, and my kids have witnessed that. They actually, literally, you know, have people down the street that tell them that their parents hate me. So you know, they have like little buddies, you know, that that inform them that their parents absolutely hate what I do and everything about me or whatever. But um but you know, it's fun to balance it. um You know, my kids actually grew up coming to the Capitol with me. You know, I actually had a. A nursery in my office. It was like half nursery, half office because I brought my kids everywhere. But sometimes the Capitol is not the most um, kid friendly place. I'll just be honest with you. <laughs> you know, you don't want your kid there on the time that the ERA women are displaying their free speech with actual no clothes on you know that um so it's interesting because you never know what you're going to get when you actually bring your children to the capitol i mean a lot of times they came back with cookies and goodies that they were handed out from legislators but other times it was like what did i just see mom i mean my my kid definitely learned some of her i mean emma grace in particular always remembers that she learned uh, a cuss word from one of my events that she came to so you never know you just have to have good conversations with your kids how about you nick
1: um, yeah, I mean, my, my oldest daughter was a Senate page. My youngest daughter has come and interned for me. My son has obviously been down the Capitol a lot as well. Um, I, I think what's interesting is because we are on social media so much and because, you know, my my kids um, you know follow me on, on my account, they get to see some of the comments uh, that are made, and they're certainly I'm used to it because I've been in the General Assembly for seven years now. So, you know, my, my daughter was, you know, 12. Uh, my oldest daughter was, 19, was, was 12 when I first came in. One of the things that I think is—I will tell you this much—as a father, um, like my oldest daughter, she's in the realm of theater and cosmetology. (laughs) So, despite going to shock you, not the most conservative, um, you know, areas of of the economy and education. And one of the most—one of the proudest moments is when she is facing a situation where where an issue comes up, like abortion, and she has her own method and and approach you know obviously i'm kind of known for (laughs) the the direct attack i guess um and and my daughter's constantly finding herself in a situation where she's outnumbered you know almost you know 10 to 1 sometimes and she she really has developed a method of argumentation that allows her to let people see where her heart is at as she's defending the life position or she's defending a particular economic principle um and i don't know that she would have had an opportunity to you know, get in those discussions and whatnot if we weren't regularly talking about these things within our household. And and some of those things coming as a result of the attacks that I was getting. And so I'm thankful for it because it, it creates an opportunity and it, it's like anything else, right? It when, when you're attacked and when your kids see it, um, you can try to shelter them from all of it, but that's never gonna happen. Um, or you can use it as, as moments to actually have a conversation about something.
0: All right. Well. For those of you who fall in the category of super level political junkie, you're gonna love the way we're wrapping up today because we're gonna go out with a little nod to the McLaughlin hour. Which could be described as a vintage era crossfire show and it had a a segment that was about predictions. So we are going to get some political predictions. We're on the masters here. All right. Question one. On a scale of one to ten, what are the chances that Governor Yunkin will run for president? One being equal to Nancy Pelosi voluntarily retiring and ten being as certain as a red fleece jacket.
2: (laughs) I got to go with ten. I'm going to go first here. I I think he is absolutely going to run at some point. I'm not saying that's going to happen this cycle. But I think the guy loves to campaign. I've almost rarely seen a candidate who does it who loves as much as governor Yunkin does the crowd the you know the bumper music I just think he he I think he would love I mean he's been campaigning for other candidates I think he would love to run for president I mean I think he would literally love the process not just the outcome and many people just run for the outcome but I, I think I think he's gonna do it sometime
1: um I I give it I I would say an eight or a nine um I don't think it's gonna be this next cycle yeah. um but I, I I could definitely see him doing it in, in the future
2: And I I do think we have to add to, I mean, imagine if you're the national party and you've got somebody who is pretty popular, Mm self-funded, flipped a red, you know, blue state back to red. I mean, it's there's gonna be people pulling on him to run, too, to be fair. Mm -hmm. Oh,
1: yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, that leads into question two. How likely is it on a scale of one to ten that we're going to see a rematch of Biden versus Trump with one being uh, equal to Biden admitting that actually admitting that there's a recession going on and then being certain that we are going to hear new Trump words like bigly.
2: <laughs> you can get that one first. I,
1: I give it a three. Okay. Um, I give it a three. One, I, I don't think there's a super high probability that, that Trump's going to run again. I give that maybe 50-50. Um, I'm, I'm just not convinced that Biden's going to be running in two years. So if the question is uh, a Biden-Trump thing. Um, I, I, I think it's, it's probably slightly, it could even be slightly more likely that Trump runs again rather than Biden runs again. I don't think his party wants him to run again. And I, I don't know that he I don't know in another two years um, he's in a position where mentally and physically he is able to.
2: Yeah, I was going to give it a 50% so you're, you know, we're in the same general ballpark. You're even more pessimistic than I am. But yeah, I don't think Biden's party wants him to run. So I think there's going to be a lot of people trying to stop that. Um, for a lot of reasons. And you mentioned some of them. And uh, Trump, you know, it's interesting. I've told people I, I really think he's going to look like he's going to run as long as humanly possible, because that allows him to be kingmaker. You know, you can pick your candidates. Yeah. You can. I think he loves that power position. But I don't think I'm not sure he's willing to risk the idea that he could possibly lose. And and what if the election wasn't stolen and then he would have lost twice. And I, I don't know that he's I think he goes out on top if he doesn't run again.
0: All right, interesting. All right, final question. What are the percentage chances that conservatives will be able to retake the state Senate in the next two years with zero being equal to eliminating climate change and 100% being equal that we will see another smackdown of the liberals from Delegate Freitas on the House floor? (laughs) (laughs) You want to take it?
1: sure um i i give it a six and and that's because i'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat it and say oh yeah absolutely we're going to do it Uh, i say six right now because i look at the way things are going within the country i look at the way i look at things that people are concerned about Um, and i also look at the republican leadership that we have right now within um, the virginia house of delegates within the state and, and I'm very confident. I think we have competent people in charge that are are going after good legislation and are you know are articulate defenders of what we believe. Um, but we still don't know who all the candidates are going to be for those various races. Um, the the way that the district lines are drawn, it's very very close. We essentially need to flip one seat in the Senate, and then uh, Lieutenant Governor Winsome Sears could could be the tiebreaker. But um, I think I think any so saying six is me saying that I, I think it's. Better than even odds that we can do it, but that's also presuming that our you know the people that believe in these principles do not sit at home. And I don't mean sit at home on voting day. I mean when it comes to door knocking. I mean when it comes to donating. I mean when it comes to getting out and actively you know campaigning. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if we have that kind of energy. Um, then I, I think it's it's absolutely achievable. I, I give us better than even odds right now, but uh, we, we need to take this, we need to take next year's race incredibly seriously because it, it really is the best chance that we have for two years of, a, re, of a, a House, a Senate, and a governor, and a lieutenant governor, and an attorney general that, it, that is actually going to put forward good legislation that I think a lot of us want to see. Um, there, there's this expectation, oh, we won the governor's, okay, that's, that's not how a constitutional republic right. works right? You, you have to have sufficient, um, you have to have sufficient, you know, power within the legislative branch and within the executive branch um, in, in order to achieve these things. So I, I give it a six right now.
2: Okay. So now I feel kind of pessimistic because I was only giving it like half, like 50-50 that we do this. And, and, it, and, it, and I don't feel like I'm a pessimist, but the lines are tough. I, don't, I think we'd be denying it if we didn't say the way the districts are drawn. And to me, I feel like you know you'd think okay we only have to pick up one seat on the conservative side but in my mind it, the way they them. drew them yeah we got to keep them and they're not all in the same district so half of those districts are considered empty seats they don't actually have a technical incumbent and then some of our people are pitted against each other so it's it's kind of just it feels like it's wide open as far as what could happen who's going to be in the races so to me just knowing the demographics and Virginia being very narrowly divided, I think it's going to be really tough. I will say this, though. I agree with you 100 percent with the economy and the general public sentiment right now tracking. Um, people are frustrated, and that's not going to turn I, – I would love to say that's going to turn around overnight. That's not going to turn around by next year's election. I just don't see it. I don't see a president that understands it well enough to actually help it turn around, even if we capture in the midterms these, you know, the U.S. House of Representatives and the Senate. So hopefully – that would mean that people are ready for some more change heading in the right direction when we get to the Senate. But I, I don't want to be the pessimist, <laughs> but I, I, maybe I'm a, just a little less pessimist. I mean, a little less optimistic than, than Nick is here. <laughs>
0: Wow, that was really fascinating. I almost wish that we did the whole entire show just on you predictions? guys' predictions. Well, only if really- you do it in the voice. <laughs> only if
2: you can imitate the voice. You know, what is the prediction? I don't know. If you ever listen to the show, we, we need we need a little work on on Candy's imitation oh, of McLaughlin. how you yeah how I, you uh, <laughs> deliver those questions. I can say bye bye. Yes, like- do that. <laughs> bye <Bye-bye>. bye. <laughs> um. All right.
0: Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. It was fun today. Don't forget to check out how you can win a personal tour. To the, at the state capitol with Nick and Victoria, just go to familyfoundation.org and click on the Win a Tour banner. That's familyfoundation.org. Thanks for joining us for this week's Speak Up Virginia, brought to you by the Family Foundation. Visit us at familyfoundation.org. That's familyfoundation.org. See you next time, and don't forget we are stronger when we speak together.